Gresham College presents Market Cap Benchmarks Set Finance in a Spin by Dr. Paul Woolley. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Michael, for inviting me. Uh, it's always important to know where somebody's coming from if they're talking. Um, and where I'm coming from is um, a long, many decades of uh, pra- practical finance uh, for 20 or 30 years uh, as a fund manager. And um, I, after a while, it gets a bit tedious exploiting the mispricings of markets, which the academics say don't exist. That, um, so I, I, I felt there was a fundamental problem in finance and the way it was understood and taught. And so uh, seven years ago, before the world fell apart, I set up a center for the study of capital market dysfunctionality at the London School of Economics. That's where I'm coming from. Um, And our um, objective is to uh, write a better understanding of how finance works and how finance fails. And um, nodding in the direction of the title of this um, this afternoon's uh, conference, uh, it's called Capital Market Benchmarks Set Finance in a Spin. So it's taking one part of uh, the work we're doing at LSE. Uh, the subtitle is Two Cheers for Free Markets, borrowing from E.M. Forster, sort of, who said two, two cheers for uh, democracy. Um, I'm absolutely in favor of free markets, but they don't work how we're supposed to understand that they do. I hope you can all see this. Um, I, um, the topic uh, is to do with, with benchmarks. Um, and what I want to explain is what happens when, in that contract that Anthony put up uh, for the 28 years of asset management, uh, market cap benchmarks uh, constitute, for instance, indices or peer groups based on market cap. Um, typically, at least until a few years ago, um, measurement was based on comparing performance of a manager or indeed your own portfolio against the benchmark of uh, an index, equity index, bond index, global, lo- local, whatever. Um, but the Capital, but the market benchmarks that um, what I'm going to show is that that action of setting benchmarks to a manager causes, in aggregate, if everybody is doing it, the aggregate outcome is that some sectors of the market will be overpriced relative to their fundamental value, others will be underpriced. The aggregate market will be overpriced, so the overpricings exceed the underpricings. Um, And that high-risk securities will deliver lower returns than low-risk securities, which is contrary to the fundamental theory of of finance as it's taught, and indeed our general understanding. We assume that uh, if we take higher risk, we'll be rewarded with a higher return. That ain't in the data. It ain't in the data for 70 years. 
so there's something fundamentally wrong with both the teaching of finance and also the way practitioners and, and indeed policymakers are acting. What happens is, in a nutshell, that giving market cap benchmarks forces managers who, who manage the money to become more short-term, so it's short-termism, and with that short-termism comes not only a private cost, people don't do as well as they could do, but there's a societal cost in that markets will be uh, disruptive. And what I'm talking about isn't a polemic. It's, it's based on a, a, a very formal theoretical understanding, um, and it's also based on uh, what... It, it's not a behavioral judgmental. It, it's actually a, a formal theory in a rational framework. Now, what do, what do benchmarks do? They're typically indices, as I said, or peer comparisons. So a pension fund will compare itself with other pension funds in the same country. Uh, the benchmarks are either explicit, i.e. they're in the contracts that are written, or they're implicit. The manager will always be looking over his shoulder to see how others are doing, and so and act uh, in part under the influence of what others are doing. And both uh, market indices and peer comparisons are, of course, based on market cap. The peer comparisons are because uh, that depends on how markets are moving and how people are investing, the other, how the competitors are, are acting. Now, there's a fundamental fact in standard theory of finance which is has been totally ignored uh, when we come to uh, investment and asset pricing and so forth, which is that investors, for the most part, don't invest for themselves. The asset owner, you and all of us actually, in our individual capacity, we delegate. We delegate it to trustees, trustees delegate it to uh, fund managers. There's a, there's a huge delegation process, a tiering of, of delegation, a tiering of agents. And that gives rise to asymmetric information. Asymmetric inf information, what, what does that mean? Well, look, if you delegate, f finance isn't like um, any other product or service. You can take a washing machine that doesn't work back to John Lewis. You can't take a, a financial product that fails and get your money back. Finance is like, unlike pretty well anything else, in that you don't know if it's any good until it's too late. And the problem is that, I mean, people think, well, is it, obviously the agent has more information. And here, I'm, let me let, just think in terms of um, the investor who delegates to, to, to a fund manager, the agent. Um, the uh, agent, Obviously, he has different. He has better knowledge. That's why he's given uh, the powers. He's, the powers are transferred to him to invest. Um, but he's also got different objectives. He wants to make money for himself, which is perfectly logical, rational. Actually, the main problem isn't, isn't um, perversity, in that sense. It's actually very simply that the principal does not know if the agent is competent and diligent. Simply that. That is the key fundamental problem. 
And so principles seek to limit moral hazard, which is people acting in ways that are not in the interest of the ultimate acid owner. And adverse selection, which is choosing the wrong guy or to do the wrong thing. Actually, what I'm going to talk about doesn't even have to involve delegation because we're always are looking over our shoulder at what everybody else is doing and also what markets are doing. So but we'll talk in, think of it in terms of, of the uh, trustee appointing uh, a fund manager. Uh, what I'm going to say um, is based on, at the footnote, um, at the bottom there, um, my colleagues... Um, who uh, at, at LSE, um, Professor Vianos, um, Buffer, and I, oh, incidentally, my colleague is a young chap called Buffer, and I'm the old Buffer in, in, the, in the trio. <laughs> um, uh, the, I, I won't go into the technicalities, um, but you can get a broad idea what goes wrong. Um, because when you have a benchmark, when you set a benchmark, with the, when you set the manager to outperform the FT all share index with a, I mean, typically you expect them to outperform, you ask them to outperform by 2% a year, the, inde the index maybe 4%, uh, with a tracking error, a divergence that you'll, you, you, you wish that two years out of three, that you hope that two years, it's managed in a way that two years out of three, um, the uh, manager who is seeking 2% outperformance doesn't diverge by more than 4% uh, uh, from, from, or 5% from, from the market uh, benchmark. Um, the point is that if you are managing money to a benchmark, it causes you, to, the manager, to focus on the most volatile stocks. If a volatile stock, say a tech stock in the, in the tech bubble uh, 14 years ago, if following a rise in technology stocks generally, and if the manager is underweight, he will be obliged to, uh, to comply with the, the contract. He'll be obliged to add to his weight, weights in those volatile stocks. Uh, there's less pressure to sell if he's overweight. Um, and also, the pressure is greater uh, for stocks that rise because mistakes uh, are more costly. If, if something falls and you're overweight, your problems get smaller. Uh, they get greater, however, if you're short of something that's rising. It, it isn't only the benchmarks that the manager is given and, and, the, and, and the index that he's track, um, it's also his own commercial risk. So even if there's nothing in the contract, out of commercial risk, he'll seek to minimize his divergence from the market cap index. And it is that problem that I just explained in, in a very simple framework. It is that problem that arises when you give a manager a benchmark of a market cap index with some diverge, maximum divergence, uh, then that will give rise to the overpricing of some stocks and some sectors. And it, it, was, it was key to what was happening in the tech bubble. 
uh, I was at that time um, a fund manager, and we were underweight in tech stocks because they were, we deemed them to be poor value. And the pain got greater and greater, and some clients uh, simply uh, obliged us to, to uh, reduce our divergence from the index weight. Uh, and what this causes is it, 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 it's one explanation for bubbles. It's, it's this problem of everybody looking at their benchmark and seeking to keep in touch with it, not diverge too much. It is that which is one of the potential, one of the actual problems in, in misvaluation and bubbles, market cap bubbles. It's not the only one. There are others, of course. But it, it's a very important one. It is the... Uh, there are a number of reasons why bubbles are formed, but the key thing is that this, that what I've just explained, is the key fact why high-risk stocks, more volatile stocks, get overpriced. And why uh, low-beta stocks actually deliver um, uh, higher returns in the, in the long run. Just to give you um, some historic data, uh, the, this, it's called the beta anomaly. And that, what that means is it's a risk anomaly. It's, it's how the market gets things wrong and how the theory is, is completely upside down. We've baked an upside down cake. Um, US equities uh, in 40, 40 years. Uh, if you look at the um, low beta, low risk stocks, their return has been an average 10% a year compared with the high-risk stocks, which you expect to offer a higher return, delivering only 7.2 on average. The risk is also lower, of course, in low-risk stocks, and it's higher in high-risk, which means the risk-adjusted return is something like um, two or three times greater for low-risk stocks than it is for high-risk stocks. And the same is evident in global equities, actually to an even greater extent than in US equities. Well, the central pillar of teaching in finance, academic teaching in, uh, in finance, uh, is that is the capital um, asset pricing model uh, that high risk is rewarded with high return. Well, that is wrong, plain wrong. It, it, the evidence is, is totally different. It's the elephant in the room. Academics have really um, almost ignored it. Uh, and the two explanations to date are, one, constraints on short selling, because people can't sell stocks they don't have because they think they're overvalued. So if you can't do that, that will lead to overvaluations. The second is that investors buy high-risk stocks um, because they have borrowing constraints, and therefore they want to get the high, biggest bang for their buck, so they buy the high-risk stocks. Well, we're talking about a misvaluation here, uh, which is a, a massive distortion. 
It's a distortion. The, the, the fact that high-risk stocks deliver low return, <laughs> and conversely, um, it is affecting the valuation of $100 trillion of market cap inequities and another $500 trillion of derivatives all based on it. So there's something all priced off the, the underlying. Uh, I said we're seeking to rewrite finance theory. Um, I regard the theory of efficient markets, which has been um, around for, or formally stated, thanks to Eugene Farmer. I mean, it's a, it's a great theory, but it's a special and limiting case. It's a special limiting case. You don't, natural scientists don't work in a world in which there's a perfect vacuum or zero friction or zero gravity. They have a general theory. We do not have a general theory of asset pricing in, in finance. We have, we're working to a special limiting case that markets are efficient, prices are right, and markets are self-stabilizing. Well, you can't use a theory that predicts perfection to address and tell you how to act in conditions of imperfection whether you're an individual investor or whether you're a policymaker. And yet, that is the rule book that everybody is working to. They might, they might um, recognize, and they do recognize, that markets are inefficient, but their toolbox is based entirely on the traditional theory of efficient markets, and it tells them to do almost diametrically the opposite of what they should be doing. And what we, we show uh, is that, in fact, people talk about short-termism, and they think in terms of people uh, riding waves, riding trends, buying in, for the short run to make a, a, a quick buck, like a hedge fund with a, a shorter investment horizon. But actually, most short-termism, the most damaging part of short-termism is actually trying to track a market cap benchmark, trying to keep in touch with an, an index or a peer group performance. So, in fact, short-termism is the elephant in the room. And uh, it, it, isn't it, about, it isn't about a holding period. It's actually about whether you're, how you're investing, the strategy you're adopting. It is not about a holding period. That is so important. Um, it's, it's really, it, it amounts to whether you're using momentum to buy something that's going up and sell something that's going down, or whether you invest on the basis of fundamental value. What are the implications of the new theory that we, we are constructing? Which is a general theory of asset pricing based simply on uh, recognizing that Investors delegate, for the most part, and that there is this asymmetric inform, uh, information, a misunderstanding, or lack of understanding, a lack, lack of clarity and opacity on the products and the management of funds. Uh, the implications are that... Um, For example, that passive investors, they may save money on management fees, but they're actually investing in stocks that are mispriced, in most cases 
half of what they're holding is, 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 is overpriced stocks. They're not... They're just taking what the market delivers, and the market actually delivers a, mis- a, distort- a distorted outcome. That's the key point. So passive isn't, isn't clever. It's clever at dealing with the delegation cost. And, and everybody's talking about that now. But there's a, a bigger problem, which is it causing people to invest in the wrong uh, categories, putting too much in the overvalued stocks and not enough in the, in the cheap stocks. There isn't uh, time to um, go into... Um, I mean, you might, you might say, well, OK, you've given one explanation of how markets get distorted, but aren't there enough people investing sensibly based on fundamental value to counter this? I mean, why, why aren't people taking advantage of this mispricing? Uh, The bulk of, of investment is, is uh, this, this is probably the, I'll just skip to this important graph. If you, if you don't actually remember anything that I've said particularly, except, you know, bear, the, bear this in mind, that um, our model enables us to show what the returns are to different strategies. Because we have a theory a general theory of asset pricing and asset mispricing, unlike the uh, traditional approach, we can show that what the returns are to either of the two strategies. And essentially, there are investment management might be dressed up in all sorts of ways, but there are only two strategies, trend following or invest, buying stuff that's going up, selling stuff that's going down, or fundamental value, investing on the basis. And fundamental value includes buying growth stocks, because you know you, you look at the important thing is you're looking at the underlying earning power, the future cash flows from the investment. That's fundamental. That's value. And uh, this graph shows that uh, the solid blue line is uh, the investment horizon. Uh, the sharp ratio is the risk-adjusted return from the two strategies, value and momentum. The Horizon, the investment, the length of uh, period over, over which you apply this strategy, is on the horizontal axis, and it shows that the annualized, and these are the annualized returns, the annualized risk-adjusted returns, sharp ratio. Uh, it shows that momentum, which is a succession of independent bets, because you buy something, you hold it for three or six months, sell it, regardless of what it, what it, whether it's cheap or dear at the end of the period, because you're investing simply based on riding trends. Blue line is the um, is returns, annualized returns to momentum. The point about value, however, if you buy, and, and value is the green dotted line, you're in, there's a, a danger if you're a value investor, that you're going to be investing at a point when things are cheap, but they get even cheaper. And that's why, it's a little more complicated than that, but that's why the returns to value in the short run, in in the first year or two, are prospectively uh, below those from momentum. But the returns to fundamental investment 
exceed those from a momentum strategy uh, in the long run. Pension funds are long run funds and they should all be invested based on fundamental value. It's the fact that uh, momentum, which is a short-term strategy, either to reduce risk or to make short-term money, uh, momentum, the bulk of what you're paying all your managers to do is actually just to follow momentum for the large, large part. And, and it, it, it's disastrous to the outcome of markets and indeed your private performance. Uh, and the nutshell is um, that asset owners and trustees, for instance, of pension funds should select not market cap benchmarks, but real benchmarks. They should write contracts that lengthen the horizon of the investor, of the manager, and reduce trading. I mean, frankly, all you need to do to deal with momentum is to just tell your manager not to trade 100% of your portfolio a year. Cut it down to 20%. That's all you need to do. I mean, you don't have to have a lot of gobbledygook or um, uh, uh, regulatory stuff. Simply just question, why is my... If, if anybody's using a turnover of, of, of over 20 30%, it means that that they're using momentum. They're doing short-term strategies, which in the long run uh, um, will fail you badly and will f uh, 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 that are creating the, the problems. Oh, <laughs> that was funny. I, I, uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I thought I'd just got a, uh, the, the starting slide. But OK, well, that's it. Thank you very much indeed. For all information, please go to gresham.ac.uk.